The date is Friday, June 4th, and you're listening to Entertain This, a thought-provoking podcast encapsulating all things entertainment. On this week's episode, we are going deep into the philosophical question of what is good and what is bad. Specifically, we're discussing a play called No Exit by Jean-Paul Sartre, and how this unexpectedly parallels another form of entertainment. So don't act in bad faith, and enjoy. Hello, hello, everybody. You have once again ventured into our part of the woods, our secret little secluded area where we tell you about all things entertainment. It is, of course, Entertain This. Entertain This. As always, and I so often love to forget, my name is Alex. I'm Michael. And I'm Nick. Boy, oh boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh boy. Another week has passed, and here we are. Um... It is a I little feel like bit, I'm in a fever dream. Yeah, it is Life a little pretty fast. <laughs> Life comes at you fast. You never know uh, how it's going to come at you, but you always hope it's a good way. Um, for those of you who are listening to our podcast, if you're currently questioning why we are so frazzled, it's because we have officially started live streaming episodes of our podcast, which means people will Woo! get the chance to watch us make fools of ourselves live. Now, does that mean that we are going to stop uh, going on YouTube and stuff like that? No, we're always going to post our older YouTubes on our older videos onto YouTube for people to Mm -hmm. enjoy in the past tense. But uh, another fun part of it is that now we get to kind of see your guys' comments as they come through. We can't always acknowledge them, but we can read them. So that's fun Mm -hmm. for us. (laughs) Um, But without our hat. Without further ado, um, we are currently recording the first episode of our monthly rotation, which means the ball has been thrown all the way back to me, uh, which mm-hmm. I just I just love not not being the one who gets to just sit there and <laughs> listen. It's it's so great. Um, but I do have a pretty fun episode planned for us today. We are in a bit of a time crunch because we have to keep it under a kind of hour and a half uh, because the El Guapo show starts right here on the scene snobs after us. El Guapo. Um, since this is our first episode doing it live and we don't want to kind of step on their toes, we may end up uh, stopping our broadcast to strictly the Scene Snobs Facebook page. Uh, but we will continue the show on our YouTube channel and our Twitch, at least until we finish the episode, just because uh, we kind of go over all the time. But we're not going to step on El Guapo's time. That's for, no. for darn sure. So without mm-hmm. further ado, let's get this thing started. So this is fun. This is a fun episode for me. I did let the cat out of the bag because I went and I hung out at Michael's house and I didn't Mm -hmm. shut my mouth. So I told him what I was doing an episode on. (laughs) But I did not tell my friend Nick here uh, what I was doing an episode on. So he gets to go into this completely blind, which is I'm scared. It's not something that we always do, but it is fun when we do it. Um, I need a blanket. So I'm going to start this episode off. Uh. Usually we kind of keep it light and funny, but this is a bit of a heavier episode. We're going to be discussing some uh, heavier topics and some philosophy, as we so often do on our show, uh, because Mm -hmm. it often ties right into entertainment. So in this episode, I'm going to start with some rather heated questions, and they aren't rhetorical. uh, So please, boys, feel free to answer. Uh, And those of you who are watching along in our live stream, again, I'm blasting it for those of you who are listening to the podcast in the past tense, because I want as many people as want to to come and watch it if they if they want. Um, But Mm -hmm. I'm going to start off with some questions and 
non-rhetorical non, questions. Non-rhetorical, uh, yes. to be yeah. clear. So, it's an ongoing bit. <laughs> so this <laughs> is just many. this is just a little chunk to get you guys into the right feel of where we're going to be at on this episode. Okay. So my first question is, who are you? Describe yourself as though you were trying to give a stranger an idea of who you are. That's a really hard one. Uh, yeah, Nick, do you want to do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Michael, have you go first? <laughs> okay, we'll give this a shot. Uh, I am a large, large white man who enjoys long walks on the beach as well as technology, and who a lot of the time says really dumb stuff, and has been for some reason given a platform to say dumb stuff to a large audience. <laughs> you know that one meme from uh, Captain Mar. Cap- Captain Falcon and Winter Soldier. I got there. <laughs> Which one? <laughs> right. The one where he's like, he's a little off, but he's right. Yeah, <laughs> that's. I think that's both of us, but uh, me for a for a larger extent because I say some strange stuff sometimes, and mm-hmm. um, you know, I explain myself out of a out of a cardboard bag sometimes. Um, <laughs> but as to how I describe myself, I guess uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm in my mid twenties. I'm getting up there in age. Um, I've been described as a, a an 80 year old and 20 year old skin. Um, mm-hmm. That's pretty accurate. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty much an old guy. I go to bed at 10 o'clock every day, and I'm up at six for the early bird specials. And I, I do bingo sometimes and <laughs> play Scrabble. Jeez, <laughs> Scrabble's man. a great game for all ages. You're, One of these things is not true. Um, <laughs> you're leaning. You figure that out. You're leaning way into the whole old the whole old man thing. All right, it's I'm very, very true. Yes. And one more thing, I like trains. That's all you need to know. Thank you very much. So in case you guys haven't picked up on this yet, these questions are traps, uh, so I'm not going to answer them. Mm, mm. But, because I know the game that I'm playing. <laughs> okay. Uh, if I had to describe myself, I'm Alex and I'm undescribable. Now, tell me, what is, what would you say, this is question number two, what would you say? You can't weasel out of that. <laughs> what would you say is your best quality? Oh, my best quality? Nick, you go first this time. It's like a job interview. Wow. I know I hate these. I'm not good at job interviews. Um, My best quality is probably that um, I'm patient above all else. Mm. It's a very good quality. So you would say your best quality is that other people find you patient? Yes. And I am very patient. Okay. When I have to be. (laughs) Okay. I would say mine is probably like a good slash bad trait. It's that uh, if I find something interesting, like I will not stop researching it and learning everything I can until I know the barest bones of what it is okay. uh, in all senses. Nice. It's pretty solid. I like that. Yeah. Um, good and bad is an interesting addition to that quality mm-hmm. um, because it's up to it's up to perception of other people as to whether or not that's a good or bad thing. Uh, so what would you what would you say is your greatest weakness? Oh boy. Fuck. Um <laughs> Come on guys, you've you've interviewed for jobs before. Yeah, but like in a job interview, they I can at least be like <laughs> like my greatest weakness <laughs> is that I care too much. I work too hard and right. work too long hours. Right, and I never right. sleep and I always think about the job and that's a lie. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, well, let's let's get the real answers out. Okay, uh, greatest weakness. I would say mine is that Oh God! I can just fall off the face of the earth, and like I'd be completely satisfied. 
in okay. in the meaning of like for me like i can have zero human interaction for months and months on end and i feel none like no different what about you <laughs> it's hard because i have to pick from uh the seven deadly sins and uh I don't know. I I can't say a lot on the air, but uh, from time to time, I've been known to be a little lazy. So how about that? Okay. Those are all interesting answers. So let's keep them in mind as we continue. Okay. So life is full of choices. Often we find when we feel stuck, it is because we are working through a conundrum that we find unusually difficult. Um, once we have decided the outcome, uh, we kind of let it play out and we may find ourselves recounting the choice that we could have made, uh, questioning what the other outcome may have been. The grass is always greener on the other side, they say. Life truly is full of choices. So, with that in mind, I have another question for you two. Are our lives, and thus ourselves, defined by these choices that we make? Yep. Think back to your answers. Yep, 100%. I and think here's why. We make choices, but in the end, our choices make us. Correct. And a lot of the answers that you guys gave before, they were kind of what made them either your best or worst qualities was dependent on how other people viewed them. Mm -hmm. If it were just you worrying about you, then who's to say if those are good or bad qualities? In your eyes, they could all be good. I still get pissed at myself, though, if I'm if I'm. You know, right, like but where does that come something? from? Does that come from other people's perception and how you map that like over yourself? Right. Is, yeah, or it could is, be. Yeah. So, yeah, no, that's really interesting. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, like, I think I agree with that. Like it, who you are is just who you are. Whether you're good or bad is based off of how other people define that what you do. Yeah. Well, I'd say there's a. I mean, there we we could get super philosophical and like there's could, a baseline yeah, level of morality good, and like, like yeah. But yeah. like for like what we consider our best and worst parts about ourselves, that's yeah, I agree. That's like strictly a, like a definition based off of how other people's perceptions are of you. And we may get sure. into the the questions of good and bad here in this episode. We'll have to see. Um, with that in mind, no, I already said that part. There's an argument yeah, we're to be made. In the deep end this episode. <laughs> There's an argument to be made that due to cause and effect, our, percep our perception of self is defined by our actions alone. Um, after all, our choices usually dictate how we are perceived by others, and often that is how we are known. For example, take a generic billionaire. Say this specific billionaire made his wealth off of a great scientific discovery. He then uses his wealth and provides a comfortable life for himself and his family. Uh, he donates to charities and he throws fundraisers to benefit people less fortunate than him. He takes great pride in the adoration that he receives from his community. Would you guys consider him to be a good man? Based off sure. that information alone, sure, but... yeah. I mean, there's also tons of information. Like, how did it? Like, what did he do to well, become a billionaire? You said all he, that we're uh, like, all that we're worried about is the information I, I provided. Yeah, so could far he, so good. Okay, yeah, great. But he could be Andrew Ryan. You never know. So, <laughs> so let's take a different generic billionaire. Um, mm -hmm. He gained his billions of dollars the exact same way through some scientific discovery that is unknown to us. Um, he decided that. He actually wanted more, so he instead patented his discovery and charged extraordinary fees for companies to use it, which in turn forced them to charge more to patients. Uh, with mm -hmm. the extra money the billionaire made, he lives a more 
uh, more than comfortable life in a giant mansion with five cars and a swimming pool. He's able to send his kids away to school and his wife away for vacation. He invites over mistresses and doesn't think twice about what he's doing uh, or what people think about him. Is he a bad man? Just Uh, based off that information? Strictly based off of that information, would you consider him to be a bad man? Not if we look at it in the framework of laws and stuff, he didn't break any laws. But but is he doing anything bad? Do you guys consider him to be a bad man? I could consider him to possibly be a bit of a scumbag, but not necessarily a bad person. Okay. Scumbag's still pretty yeah. pretty bad on the negative side. <laughs> yeah, like but it's not like he's he's a just straight through and through a bad person. That, okay, yeah. fair enough. It's hard to fall. Like you could you could look at it you could look at it in the way of like he still made something that brought value to hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of people. That's true. Yeah. So it's is there something wrong with like making a buck? That's that's a good question. And it is like (laughs) a morality thing. Like is what he does with that money moral? Uh, Is it moral in comparison to the other guy? But the the juxtaposition that I propose lays out the groundwork for Jean-Paul Sartre's, is how you pronounce his name, uh, existentialist philosophy of bad faith. I know what you're thinking. Alex, this is an entertainment podcast. What does this have to do with entertainment? Stick with me for a bit uh, as we discuss how this philosopher in the 1940s eventually inspired my favorite modern work of entertainment. So sit back, look within, and entertain this. This is where the cool intro happens. Anyway, That's true. Yes, this is where I'm going to put the intro. Very good. Very good. So in my intro, we laid out the groundwork for the ideas of bad faith. Let's expand on that first by understanding what Sartre was referring to. According to the Columbia Dictionary of Modern Literary and Cultural Criticism, in the philosophy of existentialism, bad faith is the psychological phenomenon whereby individuals act inauthentically by yielding to the external pressures of society to adopt false values and disown their innate freedom as sentiment human beings. Let's start by discussing that. What do we take away from this philosophy and its definition? (laughs) It's kind of what you guys were getting uh, into with the questions. Like what we define ourselves as almost comes entirely from the views of others. So, Mm -hmm. That's at least kind of what I take away from it is that because we understand that as humans, we then act inauthentically to what we would actually want to do because we're worried about what other people are thinking about the things we're doing. Right. That's, yeah, yeah, the definition you just read there was like, I wanted to go back to grade school and be like, "Um, English, please, nerd. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I mean, thinking about it (laughs) on a deeper level, it's... There's there's something that politicians do a lot, which is called negotiating in bad faith, mm-hmm. which is um, both sides do this, by the way. Uh, they'll go into the the meeting room and they'll be like, "Well, uh, they'll just be disagreeable as hell." Mm-hmm. They're like we we walked into this room to make a deal, but I'm going to sabotage it at every turn, and we're not going to walk out of this room with a deal, no matter how mm-hmm. how much of a good faith person you are. So 
That's my definition of it. That's what it means to have a bad faith is to sabotage the effort you're trying to make together. Yeah. And yeah. I think towards it's, a common goal. it's named from that, from that idea of uh, acting inauthentically towards your end goal. Uh, in this example, mm-hmm. it is your own self. You're acting inauthentically to change who you are. Mm-hmm. Hmm, interesting. Yeah. There's like a baseline level of pessimism that goes into it. Like, Oh yeah. And it's like going to get that, very pessimistic in this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's like, it's the whole idea that like who you are is completely out of your control. Like you can attempt to be yeah. as authentic as you possibly can be to yourself, but th- there's no way to be. Right. There's no and way to be me. <laughs> so here's, here's an example and you guys can take this however you want. I don't want to change how people view you or how you want people to view you. And I'm not asking you to not live in bad faith because I know that I do every day, but let's take the issue of littering. <laughs> For mm-hmm. example, When you think hard about it, and I'm going to think hard about it, when it comes to littering, I don't do it. I think it's wrong. But I think it's wrong because I know if someone caught me littering and called me out on it, I'd feel like a piece of shit. (laughs) Is that, would you say that that's the core reason or would you say that that is like one reason? I would say if I were being honest and boiling it down, that is the core reason. And there are other reasons that sprout off of that. Like, oh, yeah, of course, right. I'm going to feel like a piece of shit because of this, that and the other. But at the end of the day, if nobody was going to call me out for littering or everybody was doing it and it wasn't a societal big deal, I probably would do it. Gotcha. I don't okay. know. I feel like I feel like with littering, it's like in specific, it's a little bit of a different one for me just because there is that overarching like concept of global conservation and Mm -hmm. keeping your place around you as good as possible yeah Um, sure yeah it also has a little bit to do with like me personally i'm a bit of a neat freak so when i see a whole bunch of litter on the side of the road it kind of it tweaks a nerve and i don't see so you're the type of person who i wouldn't litter for like i don't litter because number one i don't want to like cause more damage to the earth of course but number two is because i don't want to piss you off I don't want to make you upset you won't like with me, me when I'm angry. Right. <laughs> I mean, so that can get into like that can get into like the whole thing about who you are as a person, Alex. Like, <laughs> and then that's exactly where this episode's taking us. Right. <laughs> so, so let's let's step away from the littering thing. Um, mm-hmm. But let's ask the question: How does this relate to our two wealthy men? Um, the idea of possessing bad faith is complex, but in these men, we can kind of see uh, where we're getting at, like. The one who does good, the billionaire who like donates to charity and receives the adoration of his community, he thrives on that adoration of all of them being like, wow, you're such a good guy. That was something mm-hmm. that I wrote into it specifically was that he in, he enjoyed the adoration from other people for the things he did. So is he mm-hmm. a good man if he is only doing it for that adoration? Or is he living in bad faith and thus a bad man for only doing it for that praise? There's a story in the Bible, not to get biblical on you guys, but there's um, there's a, I can't remember the exact story, but there's some dude in a temple and he's, he's praying out in front of everyone. He's mm-hmm. like, you know, he's really into it. He's going oh, and shaking and all that, you know, all that prayers. nonsense. Yeah. And then there's a guy in the back who's, you know, just as, as pious as he is. And he, you know, Jesus comes up to him and is like, Hey man, what are you doing? like i'm praying what, what, what do you mean and i think it, the the end punchline of that if there is such a thing in the bible is that you shouldn't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing and i might be quoting this terribly but the idea is that don't be a hypocrite and keep doing what you're doing in private 
and uh, people don't have to see it, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah it's there to kind of go along with that. Like, it, I believe it's in Romans. Uh, Paul is writing uh, to just the general Roman population uh, yep. in that. And he is describing a very similar scenario where they're like one of the big fears of the Roman people at that point was the people who are being pious out of fame. Mm-hmm. Um, people who specifically want to like show themselves as followers of Jesus to gain that fame and notoriety. And Paul writes like fear, like it's not an inherently bad thing, but fear those people because of what they can bring. Sure. Um, and it's the whole idea of like, just because someone is doing something for bad motivations doesn't necessarily mean that they are a bad person, but it can lead them much quicker to bad uh, intentions. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's the old phrase? Good intentions pave the road to hell. Yeah. Something the road to like hell that. is paved. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. Yeah. Yeah. I got to flip. I gotta flop <laughs> so, so I guess it, I guess at the end of the day, when we take these two men and we put them on the balancing beam of justice, they almost equal out because this one was doing all the wrong stuff for the right reasons. And this one was doing all the right stuff for the wrong reasons. So in the eyes of whatever judgment we're looking at, it's almost as yeah. though they're equal because they both got if, all if we're this looking at it and yeah. and that's and that's i think kind of the example that i'm trying to lead you yeah. guys down to understand the super complex philosophy that people spend years and years and years studying this right. idea it's of tough. bad faith um yeah but i mean what it really boils down to and it's something that we've talked about on this podcast a lot is the ever-present question of free will um mm. We've discussed it before, but let's refresh the listeners. Uh, where do you two stand on the existence of free will? We have limited free will. I'll okay. say that much. We're really getting into um, the big stuff I mean, today, kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. I had to, <laughs> you didn't. I'm not buckled in or anything. I wasn't ready for this, <laughs> but I'm gonna go flying through the windshield. Um, I, I need like overhead roller coaster. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, oh, yes, there are some things we are obliged to do by our own biology. Mm-hmm. And that means like, you know, breathing that's, you know, top of the list and excreting waste and stuff like that. But as far as like the uh, overarching mammalian type of prefrontal cortex functions, yeah, I'd say we do have free will in that respect. Mm-hmm. There's things that can kind of sway your opinion one way or another when it comes to that. But like uh, people. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, people and societal pressures and, uh, you know, neurotransmitter balances in your brain and how a certain thing makes you feel. But by and large, yeah, I'd say we have free will. Okay. Yeah, I would say that we have free will, but that's all kind of predicated on the notion of like will being something that is subject to influence. Yeah. Uh, kind of like what you were saying. Yeah, I think all of this uh studying that I've done on bad faith to make this episode has like kind of changed my opinion on free will. But, um, for that reason, I won't spoil the podcast by giving my current opinion. (laughs) It's my episode. (laughs) I'll do what I want. Uh, anyway, the example that I was given was as follows. A person is a citizen of a nation currently being overtaken. The person has several options to proceed. They could fight against the aggressors to defend their home. They could surrender to the invading forces and hope they are spared. They could flee entirely to somewhere else and start anew. Or uh, they could commit suicide as an act of defiance against choosing altogether. Mm-hmm. These are kind of the options. Uh, free will dictates that any of these choices are viable but this is where bad faith steps in 
Let's say that our poor citizen decides that the best option for them is to flee their home in an attempt to start anew, but on the way out of the city, they are stopped by fellow citizens. Uh, they are shamed for not joining the fight against their, or a fight to defend their homeland. Suddenly, this external force of guilt brought on by other people convinces our citizen to stay, fight, and mm -hmm. potentially die in this war. Uh, was it at this point truly their decision? Do they deserve the glory and esteem of fighting if the natural inclination was affected by others? Do they deserve the punishment of death for this act? Yeah, I mean, that kind of goes back to what I was saying. Like, it's still their free will to act upon either choice. Like, acting upon guilt is still free will, in but my it's, opinion. It's a weighted free will, as before it was free will. Yeah, but what's not weighted? Well, no, because beforehand it was still weighted. Like it was still weighted. It's not true. You never have true free will because there's always predicated influence on your current will. Yeah, and but that's going to affect whatever choice decide, you make. If he was going to decide to run, and it wasn't until this other external force, these other people stepped in to be like, "Hey, what the fuck, man? I noticed you're running," and then he's mm -hmm. like, mm, "Then I won't run." Like they're right. <laughs> I should stay and fight, and yeah, they're only so staying and fighting because they got caught then at that point, he is still making the conscious choice to not continue running. But is it still his choice if he decided to stay strictly because this other force came in? If it had never come in, he would have made it out scot-free. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be some sort of influence on free will, mm -hmm. no matter what you're doing at the end of the day. I mean, what's what's not weighted, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say that, like, personally, I think he still has the free will. Like, he has, still has complete free will, but that is because there's no away. such thing so, as complete free will. So yes. here's an inside baseball for our listeners. Uh, I, I write scripts because Nick got me in the habit. This is what I wrote next. <laughs> uh, these are complex questions uh, to be answered, and I understand that there's an argument to be made that the decision to stay and fight was still theirs, but the idea stands. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, once an outside <laughs> force was introduced to the choice being made to our citizen to surrender the role of subject in the narrative, he adopts what is known as the objective role. Uh, take, for example, the sentence, the dog barked at the intruder. The subject of the sentence is the dog. Um, mm -hmm. And by doing that, that makes the intruder an object that is defined by the dog's actions. Um, and that he is literally objectified in that yeah, sentence. Like he, is, he is the one being uh, he's the one being acted upon. Yeah, and that's kind of what yeah. Sartre was getting at. Um, oh, I know I hate grammar. <laughs> now, now let's, and the, but but it is important. Um, mm -hmm. So let's look at the sentence: the citizens' militia called the man a coward for running. It's built okay. the same as the dog barked at the intruder. The subject of the sentence is the citizens' militia, and the object being affected by them is the man running. So at that point, he's given up the position of subject in his own life and has become an object in the lives of others. And that is what Sartre's feared in people acting of bad will, that you lose your sense of subject because you have 
become an object for others to impart their own uh, acts upon. The act of shaming the man and labeling him a coward has objectified the man. He is no longer in control of his own narrative and at this point is just an object to receive the effort of the militia's actions. Thus, to reclaim his position as subject or to maintain the appearance he wants in society, he is no longer acting of free will. He is now acting in consideration of the will of other people. Yeah, but Where when don't you? Really? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Like you're always gonna... But yeah, it's like Sartre would say dolls. <laughs> Sartre would say because of that exact point, you are now acting in bad faith because you are now acting outside of the means. Now, I don't know anyone who acts mm. in good faith in society. Yeah, I, that, I that's think not I think a it's thing. It's hard to I, comprehend someone who just doesn't yeah. take into account the opinions or actions of others. And it, it sounds like yeah. there's a <laughs> distinction between like what we would think is good and bad faith and what he's arguing is good and bad faith. Mm-hmm. Like, cause it sounds like agree. from his, from his perspective, him like bad faith, meaning that you're not taking only your own desires and free will into account, right? Like anything outside of your own control and thoughts and desires is bad faith. So he would argue that hmm. you are acting, um, inauthentically to yourself yes. by doing that. And that qualifies and, as bad faith. So basically he's saying if you were to take out the influence of other people completely from your life and you were to act strictly on your own choices, your own free will. If you were then to act good, then you're a good person. But there are those people who are then going to act bad, who are like, oh, I don't care if people think that I'm a murderer. It doesn't matter. And then they're going to murder people. Those are bad mm-hmm. people. And that's what he's saying. He's gotcha. saying that you should naturally want to not kill people. It shouldn't take somebody sending you to jail and the fear of like the death penalty and all of that to stop you from killing people. If that's the case, then you're a bad person. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of a, a boiled it's, down way of looking at it. So what we what I got yeah. from that is, Alex, you're a bad person because only other people's because I influence. Litter. Yeah. yeah, because you because you want to litter, <laughs> but you don't because other people would feel would make you feel bad. Yeah, you, you basically Gosh. got it. Yeah, it just, it just goes deep because um, what you're describing is good faith or what the person was describing is good faith, acting only in your own Sartre's. self-interest is the, yeah, is the own, that's a cornerstone of objectivism, mm. which we've discussed in depth in like the Bioshock yeah. mm-hmm. episodes, which is like objectivism is acting for your own best interests and everything you do for your own best interests is good. And so there's a reason why it's called all the objectivism. Time. Yeah. objectivized you know whatever so (laughs) it all connects man yeah right (laughs) sartre's distaste for bad faith comes from what he believes is a loss for the individual uh no longer is free choice as important as being seen as decent thus the ever watching eye of our peers and how they perceive us simultaneously now defines us and limits us as individuals famously sartre once wrote hell is other people and in in the work in which he wrote that is what we are going to be diving into today. And that is where the entertainment takes off. I hope I haven't lost you guys. I promise we are getting to the entertainment. But first, <laughs> are there any questions thus far? If you understand everything up to this point, then we are ready to dive into this. Uh, yeah, I think I have a pretty good grasp. I mean, okay. it's a pretty it's good grasp of what bad faith is and what he means by it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, bad faith is acting. Let me try this. Bad faith is acting how society wants you to act. Is I, that accurate? Yes. But what kind he of. claims okay. is that because most people are acting in bad faith, we are then damned to never be our individual uh, 
our our, our natural selves yeah. right and because of that we are all tortured by everyone else viewing us in the way that they do we will always be yeah. constantly questioning how everyone else views us, and that is why hell is other people. It's kind of like a, what is it called? A sociopath's uh, worldview, mm -hmm. in a way. Yeah. Because you're only caring about yourself, and if you don't care about other people, then you're going to do whatever you want to do. Right. And fuck other people, pretty much, right? But he, but he <laughs> argues that if you're a good person, it shouldn't matter. Like, you should be able to act in your own free will, and it's still you're still a good person. Um but I think that there is something to take away from this idea of the judgment of others and how they view us will constantly torment us if we let it because we define ourselves by how other people view us. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. Because we act in bad faith. We want to be perceived as the best we can possibly be perceived. That's just human nature. Yeah. It's that bad word that's throwing me off. Yeah. Because it's bad. Right. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> right oh you want yes. to be seen as good and that's kind of the whole point yes michael do you have anything no uh, i think i'm i feel i feel You're pretty good at all so yeah now, this this was me buckling <laughs> you in and lowering the strap is what this yeah. was and i know it seemed rough and i maybe well, buckled you in a little hard but that's what that's what all of this introduction <laughs> stuff was well it's like you also did this like at the top of the first drop of the roller coaster and i had like to. we've been geared up and just <laughs> <laughs> i had to do it here is the problem <laughs> or else or else the roller coaster would have been like in the fourth dimension and your eyes would have bled. Okay. I'm halfway so there. I'm so in the second dimension right now. <laughs> so because this philosophy is so complex, uh, Sartre wrote a play to sum up the ideas of it. The play is called No Exit, an account of three individuals who, and this may sound familiar, after their recent deaths are placed in a room to torture each other for all eternity. This is where the oh, famous purgatory. line, hell is other people, is written. Um, gotcha. Sad, uh, Sartre at this point means it literally. Mm -hmm. Hell is being stuck in a room with two other people and oh. just being tortured by them forever. Hey, wait a minute. Is that, this, is that this podcast? Is that this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. There's two other dudes in this room. What the hell? Okay. <laughs> so I found a plot summary online. I will admit that this is, I, I took this from somewhere online. Um, and you'll Fair. be able to find it easily. So I'm going to run through it as quickly as I can to not waste any time. But it is important to know kind of what is going on to understand where we're going with the rest of this. So three damn souls. Story. Three damn souls. Joseph Garson, Inez Serrano, and Estelle Rigant are brought to the same room in hell and locked inside by a mysterious valet. They are all expect they all expect torture devices to punish them for all eternity, but instead find a plain room furnished in the style of the French Second Empire. Uh, at first, none of them will admit the reason for their damnation. Garson says that he had been executed for being an outspoken pacifist. Sounds familiar. While Estelle insists that a mistake has been made. Inez, however, is the only one to demand that they all stop lying to themselves and confess to their moral crimes. She refused to believe that they all have ended up in the room by accident and soon realizes that they have all been placed together to make each other miserable. She deduces that they are to be one another's torturers. Sound familiar yet? Yep. 
Nope, I'm lost, sorry. Okay, that's okay, we'll get there. Garson suggests that they try to leave each other alone and to be silent, but Inez starts singing about execution, and Estelle vainly wants to find a mirror to check on her appearance. Inez tries to seduce Estelle by offering to be her mirror by telling her everything she sees, but ends up frightening her instead. It is soon clear that Inez is attracted to Estelle. Estelle is attracted to Garson, and Garson is not attracted to either woman. Mm. Uh, after arguing they yeah right after arguing (laughs) they decide to confess their crimes so that they know what to expect from each other garson cheated on his mistress or cheated on and mistreated his wife and was executed by firing squad for desertion inez is a manipulative sadist who seduced her cousin's wife florence while she was living with them which drove her cousin to kill himself. In result, Florence asphyxiates herself and Inez by flooding the room with gas while they slept out of guilt. It's going to get pretty intense. And Estelle (laughs) had an affair and then killed the resulting child, prompting the child's father to commit suicide. Despite her revelation... um, Despite their revelations, they continue to get on each other's nerves. Garson finally begins giving in to Estelle's uh, escalating attempts to seduce him, which Inez uh, eventually is driven crazy by. Garson is constantly interrupted by his own guilt, however, and begs Estelle to tell him he is not a coward for attempting to flee his country during wartime. While she complies, Inez mockingly tells him that Estelle is just feigning attraction to him so that she can be with a man, any man. Which causes Garson to abruptly attempt an escape after uh, his trying to open the door repeatedly and inexplicably the door opens, even though it had refused to throughout the first act but he is unable to bring himself to leave and others uh, remain as well he says that he will not be saved until he can convince Inez that he is not cowardly she refuses saying that he is obviously a coward and promising to make him miserable forever Garson concludes that rather than torture devices or physical punishment quote hell is other people Estelle tries to persevere in her seduction of Garson, but he says that he cannot make love while Inez is watching. Estelle, infuriated, picks up a paper knife and repeatedly stabs Inez. Inez chides Estelle, saying that they are already dead and even furiously stabs herself to prove the point. As Estelle begins to laugh hysterically at the idea of them being dead and trapped together forever, the others join in a prolonged fit of laughter before Garson finally concludes, well then, let's get on with it. And that's the plot. Get on with what? (laughs) That whole being dead thing. Yeah. The the whole being dead thing. That's right. (laughs) Woof. So that was a lot, but you get the Mm -hmm. idea. Yeah. There are three characters. Oh, that's interesting. Is it? It's a, a lot question. like it. Sorry. <laughs> um, it. It was written in the same time and in the same style, so it's fair to assume that there is some bleed over. Um, and I did do another theory on that, which is interesting. Anyway, um, let's. The, the, you get the idea. There are three people. They are mm-hmm. in hell, and they are being tortured by being placed together in this big ruse to let them torture each other forever. Mm-hmm. Makes fair. sense. Yep. So. Let's look at these characters with the lens of bad faith in mind so that we can fully understand what Sartre is saying. 
Garson is a coward who deserted his country during wartime and is thus executed by a firing squad. Mm-hmm. If that wasn't enough, he in life cheated on his mistre- or cheated on and mistreated his wife. Um, surely he belongs in hell. But what sure. is it about being trapped in this room that tortures him? As we discussed before, by taking the title of coward, Garson is objectified. Throughout the play, he has repeatedly uh, tries to escape by performing manly acts to prove that he is not a coward. Mm -hmm. Um, Such as allowing himself to be seduced by Estelle, which is a manly act, uh, having this attractive woman come on to you. He -hmm. then has given up his right as an individual by leaving what defines him in the hands of Estelle to make him feel like a man by her actions. And eventually, when abandoning that, he leans on Inez to define him as being brave. Both women's refusal to see him as anything other than a coward is what is currently torturing him. Mm. Ooh. Gotcha. Yep. That'd be torturous. So, yeah. No. Okay. So it's, right. it's not. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It all, all the puzzle pieces are fitting together. Right. <laughs> so it is because these other two are seeing him in a light in which he doesn't like. That is what is torturing him. Mm-hmm. So let's Fair. let's move on. Let's talk about Estelle. Um, Estelle is a woman who in life was defined by her high social status. She sought self-approval in the eyes of men and allowed her beauty to be her defining characteristic. She undoubtedly belonged in hell after cheating on her rich spouse with a young man. And after bearing a child on a long vacation, she throws the baby into the ocean from a balcony. She says how she does it. It's nuts. Uh, Yeah, so she belongs in hell. We can all agree. Fair. But let's ask why this form of torture is so effective. The room that they are trapped in purposely has no mirrors. There is no way for Estelle to see herself except for in the eyes of the others. So Estelle can no longer find her worth in her appearance and is then forced to seek approval from first Inez, but then later Garson. Um, She puts all of her self-worth on the opinions of a man just as she did in life. Garson, only interested in freeing himself from the torment of being seen as a coward, has no interest in Estelle. Um, That is her torture, is not to be told she is worthy by a man. And she will never find that worth in a man, and that is all she strives for. Huh. I I would have thought the torture there would have been her not being able to, like, the weight of her... uh, not being able to find her uh, herself attractive in any way like that pressure right. is being put on her from other people. Yeah, but, not just the man, but yeah, you know, it's also Inez, but Inez yeah. does find her attractive. Uh, that's also kind of part of the torture is that mm. she wants a man. She wants a manly man. That's why gotcha. Inez isn't enough for her. So when Garson kind of blows her off, that is her. That's her torture. Gotcha. And she has sure. to find this approval in others. That's why there are no mirrors. It's the only way that she can find approval is by being told she's beautiful by this man. Mm-hmm. Can Fucked I? Uh, can I try to solve? I don't know what it is you're trying to solve, <laughs> but we have one more character to go through. Let's get through her, and then I'll let you solve. Okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Just just to keep this train a flowing. Please go. So last we find Inez. Uh, she is well aware and accepts that she is supposed to be here so far as so she has a line where she basically goes why am i here because i'm a bitch like she says that 1940s theater she goes i'm here because i'm a bitch 
Um, okay. <laughs> she has always understood this power of manipulation that she has on other people. This She uses bad faith as a tool to make others do what she wants. She manipulated the wife of her cousin into hating her husband so that she could seduce her, resulting in her cousin's suicide. Here mm-hmm. in hell... She uses the same power to attempt not only to seduce Estelle, but also when she sings about execution, that is to force Garson into thinking about his execution. The only information that she knows about Garson at this point is that he was executed. Mm -hmm. Um, And all of this is to no avail. Her play continues to be uh, to remain in complete control through her torture. And at the end of it all, the two characters she has been placed with are too self-involved to allow her to torture them. That's her mm. torture. She found satisfaction and power over others. And by this power being taken away, she unknowingly she unknowingly had lost her own self-worth because she had placed it in being able to torture other people. Gotcha. Wow. So she, huh. too, was finding her own self-worth in other people, mm-hmm. which is kind of where bad faith takes that turn where it's like, oh, I also to not act in bad faith. I have to be enough for myself. And that's hard. Yeah. Like, it's hard to look at yourself in the mirror and be like, you are enough. Like, that's why this is a whole different side that we haven't really explored. But like, because she wasn't enough to herself already, that she is also acting in bad faith. Yeah. Hmm. So we find these characters in a stalemate, each requiring something from the other and each other refusing to give it to him through the logic of bad faith and defining oneself on the relation to others. They are eternally tortured by their goals being just out of reach. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. All right. You'd like to solve the puzzle. I'd like to hear your solve. Well, it was a solve, but now it's falling apart. (laughs) (laughs) So it's not much of a solve anyway. Okay. okay. I was going to (laughs) say... From I thought you had figured you said, out where we were heading, like what the next step nope. was. Okay, fair enough. I wish I had. <laughs> I really wish I had. But it, you started out by saying the the guy was looking to not be labeled a coward, mm-hmm. and that brought into my head the story of the Wizard of Oz, where the okay, <laughs> the well that's trying interesting. To find courage. <laughs> I would have s- fell apart after that because I was like, the Tin Man needed. Nah, just just forget about it. <laughs> <laughs> there is an argument to be made that we are heading in a Wizard of Oz esque direction, but that is a completely different episode we can worry about later. <laughs> Who's the wizard behind the curtain? It's probably Alex. Who knows? It might be me at the end of the day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Because each has the power to satisfy the other, but refuses out of fear of losing advantage over the third, uh, Sartre has physically made what he means. Um, He has physicalized the negative impact of bad faith. Um, You can lose yourself and others and are tortured by who you desire to be. You're not tortured by others. You're tortured by yourself because you're not being viewed the way that you want. Right. Which is something that I think is a lot easier to swallow. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that seems. Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah. In a sense, you are placed in an internal hell of other people's expectations and for that reason hell is other people it it some of that just seems like trying to achieve a goal and no matter what you do you can't achieve it right because because sure, like, you're not in full control they, right yeah they all want something from the other person but they mm-hmm. can't 
they can never get it because the person isn't willing to, you know. But you can't do it just, alone because <laughs> we live in a society. <laughs> fight it, you guys. But it's it's like they could sit in a room and negotiate, right? I mean, but when that's, they try, thing. they were perfectly picked because the three of them each have different goals. Where it's like, if I give a little, I lose everything. Yeah, and maybe part of that just seems like. I'm I'm approaching this like from a very optimistic kind of standpoint because I guess that's no, just how well, this, I'm wired. This is a downer. This is all a huge downer. This entire philosophy is a giant ass downer, and yeah, it's but like I see it like hey, the you actually know like, you have no control over who you are because you live strictly as a reaction to the actions of other people. <sighs> that might be true, but I'm looking at this like there's a there's a good side of the story where they all sit down and they're like, all right. <laughs> what do you want from me <laughs> you know well, they like sit down like, they just do it you know it shouldn't be like this where they're all fighting at each other's throats like let's it shouldn't but it is that. let's <laughs> get along you know what nick i agree with you let's explore that because this is a downer but this concept stood as inspiration to a show that i absolutely love is it the good place it is in fact the first season of the show uh the good place NBC's I The saw. Good Place. Yeah, you did it. That was the puzzle. <laughs> it premiered on September kind 16th of, of 2016, uh, and right. the premise was as follows. Eleanor Shellstrop, played by Kristen Bell, is a woman welcomed after her death to, quote-unquote, The Good Place, a highly selective, heaven-like utopia designed and run by afterlife architect Michael, Ted Danson, um, as a reward for her righteous life. However, she realizes that she was sent here by mistake and must hide her morally imperfect past behavior uh, while trying to become a better and more ethical person. So though nowhere near as evil, there is an argument to be made that Eleanor is based off of Jean-Paul Sartre's Inez. She walks in knowing who she is. She knows she's a bitch. Like... Mm -hmm. Or, or a bench rather she knows she's a bad bench who don't who don't need no man um both lived manipulative lives where they often tricked others into doing what they wanted with little concern for how they were perceived but also were defined by this power over other people mm -hmm. you know what i mean yeah okay eleanor was assigned a quote-unquote soulmate in chidi anagonye a deceased French-speaking professor of ethics and moral philosophy who taught at the so I'm gonna I'm gonna badly mess this up because it's mostly <laughs> in French, uh, Sorbonne and Saint John University in Austria in Australia, not Austria, it's Australia. <laughs> Make more sense if it was Australia. Just saying. Our fact checker Chloe is currently smiling at me in her camera, which makes me feel like I'm doing a great job. <laughs> yeah, you did. Um, Although he has a kind and supportive nature, his inability to make choices frequently leaves him over anxious and indecisive, often resulting in poor decision making. He is seen as a coward in most situations, leading to a fair comparison to Garson. Um, he gives Eleanor ethical life lessons uh, in an attempt to make her a better person. Fair. So another fair kind of comparison. Basically, you have the bench uh, who <laughs> is like knows that she doesn't belong here and is now torturing the coward because he is indecisive and has to make decisions. 
they are torturing each other. Yeah. The next door neighbor of Eleanor in The Good Place is Tahani Al-Jamil, um, and she is a deceased wealthy British philanthropist and fashion model who believes she belongs in The Good Place. We can, again, start to see comparisons already. Uh, uh-huh. Yep. She can be compared to Estelle in the way she seeks approval through her looks and social position. She forms an unlikely friendship with Eleanor, who initially dislikes her positive attitude, condescending way of speaking, and tendency to name drop. Like you do. (laughs) So, for the sake of comparison and time, we won't get into my personal favorite character, who is Jason Mendoza. Jason Mendoza. Uh, Along with a number of others... Of other differences between the two works, um, it is clearly by the end of season one uh, when it is revealed. Here's a big old spoiler alert that they are actually in the bad place. That this first season is almost pulled from the play. These people are put here in hell to torture each other for all eternity. It's not a room; yep. it's a giant civilization, but. Mm-hmm. The point still stands. The characters have been placed together as an experiment to prove that human beings, when placed with the right people, can torture each other indefinitely. Yeah. Yep. That tracks. Hmm. But because the other was such a downer, though the premise may be similar, the good place actually almost acts as an answer to no exit and bad faith as a whole to kind of disprove it like we've or at least Mm -hmm. you two have been trying to do this entire time. And I purposely have been staying out of in hopes that this ending argument would kind of hit a little (laughs) bit harder. Um, (laughs) Devil's advocates getting uh, disturbed in my, in my head. (laughs) Yeah. While Sartre argued that uh, other people only stood as disadvantaged to the individual, the writers of a good place spend the next four seasons exploring how through accepting each other's flaws and helping them identify their faults while accepting our own, we can Mm -hmm. grow and learn as people, even in hell. Mm, That's right. mm -hmm, Because mm -hmm. the idea of bad faith looks at, the influence of others as a complete poison to the self and for self-identification. But there's that other side where it's like, yeah, but sometimes people can be like, hey, Alex, stop littering. And that makes me a better person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because (laughs) because I should have thought of it on my own, but I didn't. So I'm a better person because of it. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. That's kind of what it, what The Good Place offers uh, Sartre in his uh, involvement in bad faith, you know? For sure. Hmm. Yeah, it's the, it's the whole notion of, like, being influenced by others is not inherently a bad thing. Yeah, yeah it can be a really good mm-hmm. thing. Like, for instance, uh, one of my first jobs in a, in a big corporate office, I was um, I was coming out of an environment that wasn't really you know, corporate. So you said what was on your mind and that was, that was the end of that. But Mm -hmm. somebody was like, Hey, um, next time you're talking to the boss, don't put your two cents in. And I was like, really? Mm -hmm. So I started doing that. And and one thing came, you know, one thing led to another, I guess. And, uh, my boss started liking me. So that was a, that was a pretty good little power play there. Influence can be a good thing. Yeah. Especially when you, you know, are vulnerable like that, I guess. And, you have time to take something from somebody else and incorporate it into your mindset. Well, yeah. So. It's like you're, you have to like set yourself up to be influenced by others and mm-hmm. opening yourself you up to be that. vulnerable yeah. in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, us as individuals, we are moldable. 
Um, we are constantly changing and morphing into different things. We go through different phases in our lives where we're different people. Um, Mm -hmm. some of that has to do with self-reflection, which I think is super important, but because we live with other people, we are a herd, uh, type of creature we we want to be surrounded by others it's important to take the judgments of others and to consider what other people think about certain actions that you do um because it makes it easier for everyone and that's kind of what the good place is all about it's all about learning what 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 is it about what you're doing that is affecting other people and does that matter to you because it should Like when Eleanor basically comes in and ruins hell for everyone, at first she's worried about getting kicked out. But at least before the initial reset that happens, Mm -hmm. um, she she wants to become a better person to make things easier for everyone else around her. So much Mm -hmm. so that the other people seeing Eleanor trying to change, it pulls them into it as well to want to change as well and to be influenced by other people. Jason... For example, Jason Mendoza joins in on the ethic lessons to become a better person because he sees Eleanor doing it and Eleanor tries to pull him in. He accepts that outside help and becomes a better person as well. Uh, So kind of in conclusion, through free will and though free will is desirable and the want to be one's truest self is a constant, the world is complicated. I feel both Sartre and the writers of The Good Place would agree that being judged and judging others only hurts human nature as a whole, Um, at least when you're doing it in negative light. Mm -hmm. Another philosopher that is often referenced in A Good Place through his work, What We Owe to Each Other, is T.M. Scallon. He's actually still alive, and he was actually born in Indianapolis, so he's he's closer than you think. Um, (laughs) In his book, he explores the responsibility each and every person has to maintain morality or to understand the difference between right and wrong. The characters in No Exit lack this morality altogether. They don't understand the difference between right and wrong, and that's clear in their actions. Because arguably, when morality is introduced to the logic of bad faith, it almost crumbles entirely. Not necessarily, because they're they're doing what they think is moral. In bad right? faith? Yeah, if, like if they have bad faith, then they're doing... Cause well, it, don't get like, tied up on the name, because bad faith is its own yeah, thing I, altogether. I keep doing that. But the <laughs> philosophy of bad faith is is a different idea than having bad faith. Yeah, it's, yeah that's, that's it's why I ended up point. quitting uh, any sort of like philosophy class I was in, because I got tied up on the definitions, and the definitions are all loosey-goosey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good is good, bad is bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, hard to understand. But it's called bad faith, but what it refers to is acting in bad faith to one's true self. But that mm-hmm. takes a long time to say. Yeah. Acting in bad faith to one's true self. Yeah, so basically what I'm saying is that the people from the play are acting... Yes, they are acting in bad faith, but they have the twisted sense of morality that they're doing a good thing because they're acting I would argue, in their own self-interest. Does I would that argue sense? that their lack of morality makes the choices they make moral, but that's only mm-hmm. because they don't understand the difference between right and wrong. Yes, I think I agree with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I hope I do. Philosophy is a confusing <laughs> is a confusing thing. Mm-hmm. My um, brain's a knot. Congratulations. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> But, but as I was arguing, bad faith is this idea that the judgment of others is what forms us. 
and is the only thing that can get in the way of one being one's truest self. But when you introduce morality and what we owe to each other, which is the morality of being alive and living with other people, knowing what is right and wrong to do to other people and act in a way towards other people, morality almost cancels out bad faith because you want to be moral. You want to be good in your Mm -hmm. truest form. You want to be a a person who is considered to live in the right way. Mm -hmm. Um, And because of that, it acts in opposition of bad faith because you are deciding to be good. That is your decision. Now, I think there's an argument to be made that like these two forces will kind of go against each other forever, but you get to pick your side and I'm picking morality. Um, I would say bad faith pushes against morality almost unendingly because bad faith says, well, all morality is, is taking what other people think of you into consideration and defining what is right and wrong off of that. But yeah. then morality's like, well, if you're a good person and you do the right thing anyway, then people are going to think good of you. And you can argue that that's why you're acting that way. And so they kind of contradict each other a lot, but a lot of philosophy does. Yep. But I would say hundred <laughs> percent like TM Scallion or Scallon was saying in his book, what we owe to each other, understanding what is right and wrong and understanding that we owe each other the best versions of ourselves. And we, we owe mm-hmm. each other to be moral. Um, and that's kind of what kind of, ends the good place altogether is this understanding that being moral is what we owe to each other. Um, Once these characters understand that that is what they owe to each other, they become moral and they are able to escape hell and eventually make it to the real good place. And maybe, just maybe, if we do as well, we can all make it there too. Mop, mic drop at this point if someone wants to edit that in if you could yeah it's bolted to the desk i mean we know this yeah and plus it'd just be hell on the clipping and oh it'd be a horrible oh, audio experience man uh, hey doing that dropping the mic that makes my life a little yeah. worse <laughs> please so don't this, I have to edit it this was all big and confusing um are there any questions or statements that you guys want to make before we close this up uh, get back to me in a day. I'll let you know. <laughs> just it's going to take that long to process. No, <laughs> I mean, fully honest. I think I feel like no. A lot of what you're talking about makes sense, and I, I agree with you at the the end point. Like, yes, we do inherently owe it all to owe it everything to each other to be as moral as we possibly can be. Right, because um, we're all stuck on this giant dirt mound in the sky. Yep, and that's why Alex, I'm going to tell you, don't fucking litter. And I'm I don't I don't litter. <laughs> But when I track Don't down to it, and, yeah. But now I'm and, suspicious and this is why of you. I say, this is why I say yeah. they act in imposition because if I were if I were thinking in like in the logic of am I acting in bad faith by not littering? The answer is yes. But also, do I want to litter? No, because I know morally it's wrong. So that's why they kind of oppose each other. So mm-hmm. yeah, I did lead you down the path to believe that I litter because I'm a bad person because that was for the sake of argument. I want to end the episode now. <laughs> <laughs> Another question that comes up is like. That, that point about giving the best part of yourself to others. Um, yeah, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. It's just that there's a, there's a certain part of your, of your brain. That's like, I don't want to give a hundred percent. I don't, I don't want to do anything. I just want to sit on the couch and watch Netflix all day. Mm-hmm. I want to watch the good place on Netflix. Nice little plug there. Hey, you guys um, should go watch the good place on Netflix with all of this in I, mind I do because watch it now. <laughs> it's going to be, 
You should also watch uh, No Exit. It's on YouTube. You can stream the whole thing. Damn. Oh, that's the play. Yeah. Whew. You got my brain like fried right now because I'm like, what's the uh, who's the what's what's good anymore? Really? Like <laughs> philosophy <laughs> will the end of the do day. that oh, yeah. to you, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> Make, making a point to go see Candide now. It's like, just. Mm. That was philosophy 101. This is philosophy 102. And I don't like it. <laughs> it's all stuff so we've explored before in the podcast. Just in a different um, framing. Yes. Yes. So without any it. further ado, um, <laughs> this is live. So thank you all for who have who've tuned in and joined us for our live thing. This is going to be the only episode where I say it's live this many times. It's also kind of advertisement for other people who want to watch us live. You can check us out. Mm-hmm. Um, we will it's be live. going... We will be going live at 6.30 every Thursday to record an episode of the podcast. Um, for now, it's open to everyone. You can come and watch it if you exist and have internet. Yep. Uh, we stream uh, not only on our YouTube, not only on our Twitch. Uh, our Twitch, by the way, is if you search entertain this, you can find it. But I usually don't put it in the end plugs. We also are live on the Scene Snobs Network Facebook page. So you can find it anywhere there and come and watch live and comment along and talk with other people who want to talk about the stuff we're talking about. Um, this would have been a crazy episode for that to happen, for people mm-hmm. to be throwing Oof. like all these big personal questions out at. But come and join us there um, to see it live. That That's it. That's what I had, I think. I may have been starting a point before that, but I lost it. So We all yep. kind of lost a bit of ourselves today. Hey, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> we'll be right back after these ad breaks for the quick this starring uh, Nick Wolf, who was our live guest last month. Yep. Which which the episode you can only see on our YouTube channel. It didn't go live because mm-hmm. we did this instead. So s- stick in <laughs> to see that. Woo. Woof. Okay. <laughs> All right. On to the, on I don't to the know promos. what day it is anymore. Man. To the promos. You get me out of here. This is the promos. Hey, Cammy. Hey, Bryant. What do Robin Hood, Vlad the Impaler, and Mothman have in common? IDK, what? Well, they're all topics on our podcast, Mystery, where each week we discuss a new myth and the history behind it. That's Myth Story with an I-E. See you then. Oh. Hey, Michael. Hey, Alex. <laughs> We're doing this again? <laughs> What does Alex, Nick, and Michael have in common? IDK, IDK. what? IDK. Uh, They're all on the same show, Entertain This. And last week, we had a special guest on talking to us about The Last of Us. And Nick has so nicely uh, returned to our podcast this week, uh, as we so often do, to do our Quick This segment. Hi. You ready? Hey, how are you? Wait, is it me? Hey. It's a hey, oh oh oh. One of these things is not like the other. Oh, uh, <laughs> it's you. But wait, oh, guys, that's another bit that I do all the time. But I can't understand. <laughs> oh, he's cutting out. That's the oh, bit. Oh, okay. Oh, that's the, okay. You going into a tunnel? You need to call back or? Hey guys, I'm sorry. I'm go. I'm going into a, a tunnel. <laughs> but is that for free? Oh. <laughs>
<laughs> so do I call now or when do, when do I jump in? When do I do my quick this? Right you now, let's do it. You do it right now. Right All right. But he's going to count. Five, oh, four, gosh, three, we're still on two, this bit. One, go. Oh. So my quick. Oh, no. It's not very <laughs> conducive on, to your five minutes. Quick this, ladies and gentlemen. Sorry. Enough. Enough of the fun. We're going uh, to rip you off at the five minute mark because of your comment last <laughs> week. So. Yeah, like, I, can, I can get this done. I, I don't need all the five minutes. Watch this. Uh, okay, great. So cinema. Cinema's reopening, ladies and gentlemen. Theaters are 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 unfurling their red carpets, popping the popcorn. It's we're we're ready to go. All we did a whole episode senses. on this. We did. We did do a whole episode on this. But we did. You can listen to that. What too. we haven't, what we haven't done, uh, now that theaters are reopening and big blockbuster films are now starting to get their get their spots back in in cinemas, is we now have a return to in person film festivals, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the Sundance Film Festival is going to be in person and virtual next year in January, February ish. South by Southwest in Austin, Texas is now they have their dates now. They just finished uh, this year back in March. Uh, they will be back in person and virtual. But the one that I want to talk about in particular is one that is also out of Austin, Texas, which is called Fantastic Fest. Uh, mm. This is one of the largest genre film festivals in the U.S., specializing in horror, fantasy, sci-fi action, and just plain fantastic movies. This is presented by the Alamo Draft House, which I've also Love talked them. about in a previous podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. This is a festival. It is running from September 23rd to September 30th. 2021 this year in person uh they haven't announced a film slate yet but they just announced that hey we're doing it back we're doing it live in person here's the week we're doing it uh it is like i said in austin texas it is primarily if not exclusively out of the south lamar alamo draft house location in austin texas it's got about like i think nine screens in that theater and it is a huge festival it all takes place there everybody just lives at that theater basically for the entire week uh awesome. there's so many different films that they show throughout the past they've had world premieres of john wick there will be blood zombie land split overlord apostle the night comes from uh comes for us uh, with guests such as Tim Burton, Nicholas Windig Refn, Robert Rodriguez, Ryan Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, Edward Norton, Winona Ryder, Paul Rudd, Ryan Paul Reynolds. Thomas Anderson, M. Night Shyamalan, Tenacious D, Danny McBride, all sorts of cats Damn. show up. It is it's like a huge... four of the people on my on my bucket list to me. Of what? Having sex? Oh. That too. Uh -oh. That too. <laughs> uh, it is not only is it a great place to see new and exciting genre film from horror and fantasy, uh, but it's also a great place to watch crazy different cool things that they do, like uh, Fantastic Feuds, where they do uh, movie trivia in the theaters with a wide collection of not only guests, but also panelists, filmmakers, and cast and crew. They also do these things called Fantastic Debates, where they get two uh, people and they put them actually in a boxing ring, and they do debates on film and genre, and they actually fight. Uh, they also do karaoke, uh, karaoke nights where they everyone just drinks and gets wild and it gets crazy. People sometimes get naked. It's weird and wild. Uh, it's one of the only film festivals where you will actually uh, have a great chance of seeing Elijah Wood ride around with a cigarette in his mouth on a lime scooter. Uh, that wow. happens quite often. <laughs> That's where that meme came from. Uh, I actually oh, yeah, had the chance. <laughs> I, I, I put my camera up there. Uh, I got to see two films from there recently um one of the 
I guess it was like 2019 uh, festival. I saw the film Apostle, which is now, I believe, on Netflix, starring Dan Stevens. And then I also got to see Overlord, uh, the uh, Nazi zombie related type movie. Uh, I saw that movie months before it actually premiered in theaters. Uh, going into both of those movies, I was completely blind. Uh, that's the great thing about film festivals is oftentimes these are movies that have either A, not been announced, B, have not been picked up by a distributor or just, you know, don't have a release date yet. And you're just going into it fairly cold. And uh, that is one of my favorite ways to experience films is to walk in without really knowing anything, maybe who the director and some of the cast are, and just letting the movie take me on the trip that it wants to. Uh, so if you're in any way interested in and checking out different types of film, want to go to an amazing theater in Austin, Texas, and just be in that amazing climate with a bunch of film fans and different cast crew and directors. This is the best place to be. I definitely plan on going as soon as tickets go on sale, um, securing a B&B, &B, getting the biggest badge I can. And I just plan on living at that theater for an entire week, drinking an egregious amount of alcohol and hanging out with film fans and watching a ton of great movies. So that's Fantastic Fest. Damn it. He made it exactly under five Shit. minutes. Out of Shit. spite. I could talk more, but I was like, I got to do this. I got to do it. I got to prove <laughs> that I can do it. That's awesome. <laughs> Big fan of that. Uh, is it at the OG Alamo Draft House? I understand the OGs in Austin, but I don't know if there's multiple locations. It is. It's one of the OGs. Um, oh, okay. It is. I think it's like the second or third one. It is the most popular quote unquote, which I would disagree, but um, it is actually now known as the Bong Joon-ho uh, cinema theater. They actually, hmm. um, they gave him a placard on the theater and it's now dubbed his theater. Bong Joon-ho, who's directed the host parasite mother, bunch of other great uh, South Korean films. So incredible. It's just fun. Well, anecdote. <laughs> thank you so much for spending a little bit more time with us and uh, coming on the show again. Yeah, of course. Anything we to record do to these. Work. We record these on the same day as uh, the guest spots, so it wasn't too much of an effort, but we still appreciate it. That's a little. Mm -hmm. That's a little backstage baseball for you. Yeah. Um, At least you admitted it now. I appreciate that. You know. Yeah. You know, and we talked about last week just being honest and forthcoming with information on projects you work on. Well, there you go. There it is. Yes. Um, yes. So, uh, as always, if you have something that you would like to see us talk about on the show, we are so very open to suggestions. The best way you can do that, of course, is to visit our website. That's www.entertainthis.net. At the uh, bottom of the homepage, there's a little questionnaire that you can fill out. It'll send a message straight to us. Uh, you can use that to tell us what you want to see us cover. Or if you, like Nick, want to have a guest spot on our show, tell us what you'd like to talk about on our show, and we may just bring you on. Uh, Nick, you got close to your microphone. Do you have something to say there? Do you have a plug? Yeah, um, Did I? I yeah, forgot to let you I plug would, something. Sorry yeah, about no, that. Go please, ahead, if I may. Um, I would like to plug the uh, sequence, um, the Furby sequence in a Damn little it. film called The Mitchells versus the Machines. It's currently on Netflix. You can't do it again. Um, <laughs> just, yeah, it's a, it's a great movie. So just um, watch it. <laughs> Should I go see that? Is that like a thing I need to watch or entertain or... Um, so you could you can um, if you go on to www.youtube.com and type in Furby scene, um, you should be uh -huh. able to find the the scene. Um, it's pure cinema. Um, OK. There are other ways to contact us. One of those ways <laughs> includes our Twitter. We are entertain underscore this or you can find us on Instagram. We're entertain this podcast. We also have a Facebook group. It is 
entertain this podcast, just search it. You'll find it. And we post uh, weekly our new episodes and a brief premise to try to pull you in and have you listen to that. We also have a YouTube page if you guys are interested in maybe seeing the visual side of this show. Um, see all the weird faces that we make into the camera and the number of times that I check to make sure that my camera is still going per episode, which is often uh you can check us out we're on youtube it's entertain this add the three dots make sure that you find the one with our logo as always entertain us so we can entertain you and you can entertain this we'll see y'all next friday goodbye bye bye this episode of entertain this was written by alex Steele, with additional commentary from nick mustakangas and michael savoya our showrunner and resident fact-checker is Chloe Price. Our theme music is Rushable by Aaron Spencer, with additional interstitial music by DJW. Tune in every Friday for new episodes, and thanks for listening.